Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. On this episode, the imperfect Texan Buddha and Earth Warrior poet Steve Ramirez returns for part two of our interview. We discuss writing and take a deep dive into Steve's most recent endeavor, Casting Onward. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you can find the link in the show notes. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. And our friend Landon Mayer and his buddy Kramer are hosting the 7th annual Clean the Dream on August 27th on the South Platte River. If you're in the Denver area, you should definitely check it out. I'll be there. It'll be a great day of fellowship and stewardship. All the details are in the show notes. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or Android app. We organize our content by category so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to our interview. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll kind of, you know, we do want to talk about writing, so we'll get us to talk about writing. Okay. You know, do, you, um, do you remember the first piece that you got paid to publish? Oh, that's another good, that's a great question. Like what's the address of your first home you ever lived in, which I don't know. Um, I'm not certain that this is my first piece I got paid for, but it's the first piece I got paid well for. Um, That would be a piece called Life and Death on the Papani Flats, which I originally wrote for Sporting Classics. Um, And the, uh, the editor at the time, Chuck Wessler, bought it from Sporting Classics. And then he started a new magazine called Under Wild Skies, and he decided at the last minute to put it in that one instead of Sporting Classics. Uh, but that was my first one uh, that I recall. I th- there may have been one or two before then, but that one stands out in my mind. And I really like the story. And it's not a fishing story. It's a hunting story where I'm hunting uh, Gemsbuck in Africa. And very neat. And you mentioned um, that the core taught you how to be a disciplined writer. And I always love to talk to creative people and kind of try to understand their creation process better. And do you like to write, like, do you have a regular time every day you write, or do you sort of write in spurts on assignment? No, um, no, I mean, I, I, I have my own, I'm grateful enough to have my own column right now uh, with Fly Fisherman Magazine. And, and so that in a way is assignment, but I, I write many essays ahead, so I'm not under great pressure. I mean, we're already into 2023 that they have essays to publish, so so it's not an assignment like that, uh, but I, I have assigned myself writing. So here's, I'll try to give a good answer here. First of all, I write every day, even if I'm not going to be writing a book for the book, next book, or I'm not writing for an article or an essay for a magazine. Um, and the people that are on social media with me, I haven't been doing it recently um, because I've just been so busy writing this book and working on things for the second one um, and traveling. But normally I write essays every day and put them out into the world. And they may only be 800 words or 600 words or 1,000 words. But I start every morning. Um, like some people start with a good run in the morning, I start with a good write. And so uh, I got into a pattern every morning of warming up by just pulling a quote out of a list of quotes that I keep. I have hundreds and hundreds of quotes. And I'll pull a quote and then I'll write on it. I'll write how it inspires me as a practice run. 
And then from there, I, I'll go into my real writing. Not that it's not real writing when I do that. I do these little philosophical essays to get me warmed up. I like to write in the morning if I have my choice. And I write best in the morning. So I will, uh, I guess it's somewhat Hemingway-esque, I guess. I will write early in the morning and write until I'm, I'm written out. Uh, and it may not be a ton of words. It could, it could be after all that work, I've crafted a thousand or two thousand words. Um, so it may not be a lot, but it's, it's crafted. And after I finish that writing period, then I switch gears and I go into my research period. Uh, because the things I write often have a lot of research in them, though I try to write them so people don't know that. <laughs> so, so, uh, I go through a little learning period and then I may go back and do some more writing. Uh, but morning is my writing time and I, I hit it with great discipline first thing in the morning. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, it's interesting too, because I can tell, you know, most writers read a lot and it's clear that you really read a lot because, you know, I was just noticing all of the quotations that are kind of at the beginning of every chapter. Right. And, and, right. and so I was very curious about, you know, some of the authors and writers uh, that have influenced you or that you like to follow. Oh, well, as a little, as a kid, I was really into kind of adventure and things about the old West. So I listened, I read Jack London and Louis L'Amour and then later on a lot of Ernest Hemingway. And I'd say Ernest Hemingway influenced me a lot through uh, my teenage years into my early twenties for great outdoor s- storytelling. Um, you know, the, the people you would expect, Nick Lyons, uh, Thomas McGuane, and uh, one that others might not know, Peter Hathaway Capstick. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, I have not. I have, I think I have all of his books. I'm looking at them right now, which is, uh, he's no longer alive, but he was an African hunting writer. Um, and, uh, and of course, many others you might expect. Um, but I, I've tended to, uh, for fiction, I, I very much leaned in my early life towards Hemingway, but then I started getting further out. And, and some we would not expect, like Camus, um, and I don't know if you've read any Camus, but... Um, I did. My mom's a French professor. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. So Camus definitely uh, is one I would... And, and and then in the nonfiction, it could be anything. When I was young, I was reading uh, Walden with Thoreau and Annie Dillard with uh, Tinker Creek, uh, Aldo Leopold. You know, those are things... I was... Edward Abbey. I read a lot of nature things that guided me in nature writing an essay and um, and then people like Peter Hathaway Capstead was a great storyteller of adventure um, and then like I said Nick Lyons Thomas McGuane and of course anybody who's read fly fishing we uh, have read and enjoyed John Garrock and I'm no exception there yeah absolutely so yeah I, I also have every book I think he's ever written and uh, just to share uh, I was last time I was fishing with my buddy Bob White, who, by the way, is one of the best human beings I've ever met, one of the nicest guys I've ever known. Uh, but we were—I had mentioned to them that as part of my giving away, I've given away four pickup truck loads of books to the local library. That's a lot of books. And Bob said to me, "I'd like to see which ones you kept." <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm kind of mentioning to you, I've, I've only got four little shelves of books that I've kept. 
and everything else I got rid of and gave it to somebody else to read. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a bad book habit. Um, you know, records, old record stores and used bookstores, um, are near and dear to my heart. Yeah. It's, and what I've had to learn is that, um, again, decide what you can let go of and what you're going to read again and again. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the ones that I'm going to read again and again, but I meet some young person that really needs to read that book. I go buy them a copy. They don't get mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my copies are all full of highlights and my little notes everywhere. So uh, when I'm gone, my poor daughter will have to go through and my wife and see all my little notes of all the thoughts I had in every book I ever read. Yeah, very neat. And, and, you know, we'll, we actually will talk about your current book. Um, and, and so, you know, I guess what, within the last, I don't know, couple months, right? Casting Onward came out. Um, right, May 1st. Yeah, and it's the, it's the second book in your trilogy. And I was kind of curious, because um, I know you're a very deliberate person, kind of, you know, the premise for the trilogy as well as for Casting Onward specifically. That's a great question. So casting, I'll start with the beginning because it will make more sense that way. Casting forward, uh, beside me, dedicating it to my wife and daughter, I dedicated to the Texas Hill Country where I live, which is a very unique, I think of it, an island of uh, surrounded by scrub and prairie that is a unique place of crystal clear, spring-fed streams, limestone streams, mostly some granite uh, canyons. And it's an area that, like so many places I've come to love is, is imperiled and may or may not survive it because it's going to get loved to death. So I wanted to write kind of a story of the rivers of, of the Texas Hill country. And within that, about um, my own journey with my daughter, when we were both at a crossroads in life, and she said to me, Dad, what are we going to do? And I said, well, our plan is we have no plan. We're going to go fishing and we're going to keep fishing till we figure it out. So in the first one, it's all the Texas Hill Country and the 21 rivers of the Hill Country. Um, So what I did with Casting Onward is, if you think about, and you probably have picked up that I have a strange brain and I think in metaphor and poetry. Um, So if you think about dropping a pebble in the water, it makes ripples. And that's exactly what I've done with this book trilogy um, is the ripples are going out. So from the hill country, I went out across the nation from watershed to the watershed, and I decided to use the concept of native fish as sort of the, um, the bellwether about how we're treating the earth and each other. And I just decided that I was going to travel the country, and I was going to fish with people who, who could show me their home waters, take me to where the native fish are, and tell me what they love about it or show me what they love about it. And then I could share that with other people. So if you, if you read through the 21 chapters of this, you're going to travel with me and I'm going to fish with Kirk Deidre and Bob White and, and Ted Williams and, you know, on and on and on. And, and everybody gets to go fishing with me and see what they love and why it's so important. Cause the next thing I was asking them beside what's, what do you love is what are you worried about? And what I've discovered is that everywhere I've traveled uh, in this country and in the world, uh, things are depleting. It's the same story everywhere. Um, but I 
as I've mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Marine at heart. And even before then, as a kid, I had never believed in, in giving up on stuff and saying, well, that's it. I'll just shrug. So, uh, so that's what I did. I went out and I wanted to get anglers and outdoors people to stop thinking in counting lines and start thinking in watersheds. Because that's the way the world really works. You know, water runs the world. And um, so that's what I did. I went from watershed to watershed. And I also am telling the story of these people, these cultures, the food, the music, the things that bring us together and bind us uh, in a good way. And then Casting Seaward, the one I'm finishing now and have to have done in the next four weeks, um, is uh, the next ripple, which is I, I followed the American coast from Alaska down the Pacific coast the Gulf of Mexico, and then um, after my last trip that I have to do pretty soon in a couple of weeks to Florida, it'll be Florida all the way up to Long Island. Um, and I'm telling the story of these places, the fish, the people, and the environments. That's what that is. So if you think of ripples going out, that's the way my mind worked this. And we'll see what the next ripple is. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, obviously the subject matter for casting onward is fly fishing, but it's not a fishing book. And I was kind of curious if, you know, if you could share your thoughts on why you think fishing is such a good vehicle for storytelling. Fishing and especially fly fishing, though I have done other kinds of fishing. So it's not like I'm a fishing snob, (laughs) but fly fishing for me, for me, and I'm only speaking to myself is such a beautiful way. So, Various people have different things that bring them out into nature. Um, it could be hunting, it could be hiking, it could be mountain biking. And in my case, often it's fly fishing, not always. But fly fishing is very unique in that it immerses you. If you want to truly be, uh, I, I think, a, a complete angler, so to speak, to use that term, I don't think it, it has as much to do, this is just for me, with the precision of your cast that goes to catching maybe or the, uh, the amount of knots you know how to tie. I think it's how well do you understand that environment? It forces you to look from the fish's perspective. It forces you to learn the river. It forces you to pay attention. If you're trying to do this, at least the way I do it, I pay attention to the flowers and when they bloom. So here in Texas, we say no blue bonnets, no white bass. And it's generally true the white bass are not going to run up the rivers until the blue bonnets bloom. Um, and there's a lot of things I found around the country and the world like that. I think fly fishing is great that way because it's an immersive thing and it causes us to pay attention. But the next thing is I can tie anything to fly fishing. You think it's got it all. It's got peace. It's got struggle. It's got a little bit of danger too. Sometimes I've had some, whether I'm dodging bears or trying not to drown. Um, it, uh, you have great moments and you have moments that are very humbling. I do anyway. Um, I think fly fishing. And the other thing is, it's one of those things that teaches us, or at least it teaches me, that I can be comfortable in solitude or I can be comfortable in the right company. And by right is what's healthy for me. You know, the company is healthy. Um, so I think fly fishing I mean, it's a journey. 
And it's also a journey that never, ever ends until you're not alive anymore. So that's like, like, like there too. Yeah. And I don't know what comes after that. So I hope I'm giving you a good answer here. No, you are. And I mean, and it's interesting too, right? Because, you know, it's, it's a, you have, it's a very, you have a very specific purpose for writing the trilogy, right? I do. And it's actually multi-tiered. Yeah. And so I thought it was really interesting and, and, you know, I'll let you kind of talk about kind of what you set up in the forward to your book, but, or the preface, but, you know, I was kind of curious, kind of the unique challenges to writing a purposeful book. And I think, you know, you and I are talking about it the same way. Um, and, and, you know, one that you wanted to speak to the reader, but kind of more importantly, I think for your purposes, you want people to have hope and take action. Yes, exactly. So, um, a lot of times I'm writing and people will not know this till I say this probably unless they're really paying attention. Every word you're reading has been well considered, even though when I first do my writing, you talk about writing style, I let everything fly and I don't edit myself at all. It's inspiration. And uh, now I do have a place where I'm going and I've done the research, but I just let it flow. And I've actually had many times where I reread a portion of a chapter I've read or an essay. And I think, who wrote that? Because it just, it just came. But with that said, um, and I got to get myself back on track of what I was trying to talk about. Oh, yes. Some things I will say again and again on purpose because uh, with repetition comes learning or at least consideration. And so one of the things I say often is, for me, hope is an action verb. Uh, a lot of people treat hope as some passive thing. I hope this happens. So I used to share with my students that I could always tell when someone was never going to do something when they would start out with saying, someday I'd like to, I, you know, I'd like to go to Rome. I'd, I'd really like to go to Rome someday. And when they'd say that to me, I'd say, so do it. Go do it. Oh, well, you know. And Well, no. So the, the, the thing I'm trying to share here is it, it concerns me how how much I see in our culture now that the same people that once took on any challenge are now just throwing up their hands. And I don't buy it. And so um, I think we can make change. We just have to turn hope into an action verb instead of a passive thing, like someone else is going to do it for us. So, uh, yeah, in this, I am writing about, for example, ecological issues we have in our, in our country, in our world. But I'm, I don't want to leave people hopeless. I want to say, but there's a lot of hope if we simply act. And then I talk about human ecological issues, which tie to how we treat each other. And there's hope there, too, because if we're all of the problem, we're all of the solution. So um, I'm not hopeless at all. And if you knew all the things I've seen and gone through, you would wonder how. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I mean that. I laugh about it, but it's not funny. It's, 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 a, it's a choice. And I choose to not let that stuff defeat me. And instead say, well, there's still hope because I can make my own hope. I, I mentioned Camus. There's a quote I'm going to butcher of his where he said, where in, the, in a time or world in which there appears to be no hope. It is incumbent upon us to create it. And I'm probably butchering that quote, but that's pretty much what Camus said or wrote. Yeah. And I love that quote. 
you know, it is it is on us to create it. I, I'm not waiting for like that hawk. I'm not waiting for someone to to put a mouse out on a porch for me to eat. <laughs> so I got I got to go find it. And there is hope. We just have to. And when things go wrong, you pick yourself up and you learn from it and you move on. Whining doesn't do any good. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I, I think when I went to the Marines, I found home because uh, I came from a tough world and uh, and laughed through it. And uh, I like their point of view of, you know, so you got your leg blown off, you know, put, put your tourniquet on and get back to work, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's really served me a lot in life because sometimes, you know, you feel like your leg's been blown off. And you put the tourniquet on and you move on. You keep going. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Rocky Balboa, the movie. Oh, yes. Okay. So there's this, your readers will either roll their eyes or laugh at me. But two movies that impacted my life greatly were the original movie Rocky when I was 16 and a very shy kid. And, and got to thinking to myself, you know, I can do that too. I can choose to change the direction of my life. And then Rocky Balboa is more me now. You know, I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm not a, nowhere near as young as I used to be, but there's still something in the basement. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, it, uh, there's a lot of hope out there if we just make it. We, oh, it's his speech I was getting at. You know the speech to his son about how life can hit you hard. Yeah. It'll knock you down and keep you there if you let it. So to me, it doesn't matter how hard life hits. You get back up. You keep learning. You keep trying. And you count your blessings, not your burdens. And that's how I try to live. And and yeah, I think fly fishing is very much like that. Um, some days you go out there and it's you can't catch anything and you hook trees. Um, so I, I think it's the second book where I started to give the dendrology of all the trees I've hooked around the country. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all in how you look at it. I've got quite a collection of trees. Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing. I mean, I think it, it is amazing how I think so much of the frustration we see in the world is people feel like they've lost agency over their lives. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause I'm, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of excuses. I mean, my boys would tell you that and other people too, right. but, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where people want to complain now. And right. so I just say, yeah. And I say, well, so what are you going to do? And then they say nothing. I was like, well, then why bother complaining? Right. I don't. And I, I tell you, I, I, I have friends who I care about who get upset with me for that because, you know, I'll, I'll ask, are, do you, do you want me to be engaged in this or you just want me to listen? Um, because if all you're going to do is complain, then that's, that, that really helps you. Okay. But why don't you just do something about it? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, agency is is huge, and and it's empowering, and and even letting go is agency. It's saying I'm choosing to not let that rule me. So uh, another thing I used to share with my students is nothing and no one has any power over you unless you give it to them. And uh, I practiced martial arts for years in the Marines and afterwards. And one of the martial arts I practiced for years was Aikido, and which is very difficult. And um, one of the things I learned in Aikido is a, a punch has no power over you if you're not there for it. If you're just not in that spot anymore, uh, it teaches you how to move out of the way. 
and um, and that's true in life, and that's true when I'm fishing. So where someone else is cussing at the tree they hooked, I'm not. I'm like unwinding it and saying, okay, it's time for me to hear the birds while I do this. <laughs> no big deal. And I don't want to give to the, your listeners the idea that I hook a lot of trees because I actually don't, but I think it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. I pretty, I think it's pretty hilarious that I started the idea of whenever I do hook one in a different part of the country or the world, I'm going to write down what it is and then keep a list. Yeah, it's like a life list for birds. Right. Absolutely. I haven't hooked any birds and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And, and so you, you've got to finish your third book in about a month, right. right? And so we're talking about, you know, end of June, early July. So is that going to be out uh, then for the holiday season? I, I, there's no way for me to say that. That would be extremely quick, um, especially with one just coming out in May. Um, so I don't know the answer to that because what, what happens with this is I turn in my manuscript. Um, I set the date for this one. I actually won't be able to send, to send it on that day. I don't want to risk it because I'll be overseas. Uh, but I set the date for this one at uh, the 26th of July, which is my anniversary of my father's passing. And this book is dedicated to him. And I launched it on his birthday. So, uh, But I'll actually have to have it done by mid-July since I'm going to Europe at the end of July. And... Um, yeah, so it, it does take discipline because I my writing is um, not just um, it's it's poetic, but it's also concise, and um, you know that it doesn't any kind of art form doesn't come easy, and hopefully that's what I'm doing. Hopefully, so um, I I put a lot of time chiseling and chopping after I've put it out there. And uh, so I turn it in in July and then it goes through the production process. And that there's a lot of things that impact that um, with the publishing company. So it's really going to be up to them. What they see is the timeline. But I would say if it's not that quick, then it would, I'm guessing, would be spring of 2023. But I'm talking off the cup, cup there. That's something that the my editor and people who know the process and their own schedule will decide and it can even be impacted by something like the availability of paper yep. so with covid my this book that just came out was supposed to be out on april fool's day something i was very excited about i love that <laughs> I, I love this i love that but it got bumped to may one because of supply side you know supply issues supply chain so um there's a lot of things that can impact that but i will have my part of it in and i have to say that working with lions press has is a dream. Uh, there's a team there that's amazing, and I consider them friends. And I have a production editor who is awesome, and I begged for her on the second book after who I worked with her the first book, and she already knows I'm going to beg for her to be with me on the third book. And once you've got that team together, you can move it along pretty smooth. But it's, there's a lot of work in putting on what people just put in their hand and read and think, well, you, know, you knocked that out. There's an awful lot, not to mention all the travel and, you know, rattlesnakes, mosquitoes and bears. Oh my. Yeah. And, and so you're going to put this to bed here towards the end of July. Have you given any right. thought to what your next project will be? I've given a lot of thought to it, as you might guess. Um, uh, and even if I absolutely knew, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, but I actually don't know because I have multiple 
thoughts that I'm exploring. I do know one thing. Um, it, it won't be, I'm going to try to do something that doesn't cost, doesn't cause me to have to fly to 20 different places <laughs> to finish. So, um, but no, I've got several ideas, but I don't want to let them out of the bag yet because I'm still playing with them. I can say that uh, dropping that pebble and letting those those ripples go out, uh, they they can continue to go out or they can hit the shore and they can start bouncing back in if you follow my drift on this. Yep. So um, I, I may end up going very internationally on the next one or I may come in much tighter. But whatever I'm doing, and I have several ideas in structure that I'm playing with, uh, the way I'll make that decision is to just feel them out. And it, when it's right, you know it. Yep. And then the next next thing I do is 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 run it by my, my publishing company, my editor, um, who I have a great relationship with, and he gets me in how I write. And... Uh, and gives me really good feedback on, you know, hey, I, I like this idea or that idea. With it, with these three, this was all directly my my idea, and and they just went one, two, three, quite naturally. The fourth is something where I have a little bit more room because it doesn't have to, to ripple out, but it can. That means a lot more time on planes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, and so, so, yeah. It'll, it'll be, it will definitely be unique. So one thing I'm hoping that, that people do see when they read these books is there really isn't anything else quite out there like this. Cause I don't want to redo what other people have done. Um, it is, it is adventure story. It is also a philosophy on life and, and asking the big questions, even if I don't know the answers. And it's also very much, um, I want people to go on trips with me and have a great time while they're reading it. And I want them to laugh. I want them to, taste the pizza and understand what the barbecue was like. Uh, but I also want them to accidentally come out knowing a whole lot more about our impact on the earth and on each other and, and get them, if they don't already do it, to start thinking of hope as an action, a call to action. And let's do this. You know, I'm kind of putting together my team, so to speak, of, of readers and say, let's do this. Let's, Let's make it better. And, you know, and if that is a big pipe dream, then so what? Uh, we only got so many heartbeats. Why not use them the best you can? Yeah. I, I always say you're, if you're truly lucky, you get to pick the hill you're going to die on. Sure. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't, um, at least you're heading that way yep. and not in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, you know, to, to help kind of get people on the path, where can folks find your books and, you know, you're releasing them outside of kind of traditional fly fishing show season. So if someone wanted a personalized copy, how would that happen? Okay. So, uh, the first question is where can you find my books? And the answer is, uh, any of the major book sellers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, you know, on and on, they all have it. Uh, also small sellers may have it, whether it be fly shops or, um, or s stores that are specialty for the outdoors. Uh, I know, um, I'm trying to think what they're called now, but many of the outdoor stores also carry it, but all the major booksellers do carry it. And then of course the publisher itself does sell it, which is 
not Lions Press at the the top of the publishing. It's uh, Globe Peacock. But um, the easiest way is just one of the major booksellers, and most people buy them online. It can be bought also electronically as an electronic form. Though for me, I am all about holding that book. And I'll tell you that I, as you know, Casting Forward is about to run out um, in time with its final and third printing of the, and I'm looking right now, I've turned my head to look at my stacks of them because I went and bought a bunch for myself because I don't want to be without them. <laughs> so uh, any major booksellers will have that book. And uh, as for signed copies right now, there are two places um, to get them at this time. I don't sell books directly myself. Um, so the two places, and one is my friend Bob White, the illustrator of the book. If they simply go to um, bobwhitestudios.com, they will see that they have a chance to get it signed not only by me, but by Bob White himself. And he also offers to draw uh, a, a fly on the book for people that want that. Um, and I'll also mention that he has some left of the original artwork for the book that he is also. So Bob, Bob White's going to have signed copies. The other place that has signed copies is a group called Honey Hole Anglers or Honey Hole Ang uh, Hangout, which they can just simply go to that website and they'll have signed copies as well. Is, is that answering your question? It does. And then you've got a regular column that appears in the back of Fly Fisherman every issue. Are there any other places where you regularly are putting out kind of stuff that's not a book, right? It's shorter essays and other pieces. I Until recently, I was publish, publishing essays in quite a few different magazines. Um, um, Trout Magazine, uh, Hallowed Waters, um, you know, I could go down the list, but all the fly fish journal. Um, but, but I say until recently, because now since, um, I've been offered the chance to take over the seasonable angler column in fly fisherman magazine, which is such a huge honor. The last person to do that full time was Nick Lyons, who is someone that I have always looked up to for his, his skills and his leadership. Um, now that I'm doing that, that's pretty much exclusive. So that is the place to to see my essays right now for this time being. Yeah, and Steve, before I let you go tonight, is there anything that I've left out that you want to share with our listeners? Well, thank you for asking that. I guess the real thing is I, I really, uh, when I'm putting the, these books together or even the essays, but if I'm putting the books together, it's meant like a gift. Um, you probably have picked up that I am at a part in life where I've, I've always seen the runway and the end of the runway, but it's much closer now. And uh, I'm putting heart and soul into this. I hope you they get a lot out of it, but I hope they also understand that even when I'm telling stories about my travels, none of this is about me. Um, someone uh, said something trying to be complimentary to me, a good friend some time ago, and I won't even say what they said, but I, I simply said to them, uh, I hope not. It's not about me at all. I want people to read the words, the meanings. I want them to be enriched by it. I want them to to be able to escape into it and then also then reconnect. So uh, what I would share is I, I'm hoping that 
these books do more than take people on a fishing trip. And I hope, I, I really am doing this as kind of like my last hurrah to try to give something back. And, and uh, that's what it's about for me. That's exactly what it's about. For me. And, you know, obviously reading your work, um, but, you know, kind of on a much uh, more, I don't know, pedestrian level, you know, what's the best place for people to kind of follow your adventures on social media? Well, I, I am on uh, Instagram uh, as Steve Ramirez author. Uh, and I have a website, Steve Ramirez author.com, which uh, has a newly starting blog within it. I need to get my rhythm going on that, but I will start blogging on that one, which I'll be able to do short pieces on that website. And then I also I am on Facebook just as Steve Ramirez, and uh, people can request, send a friend request. And those are three, I don't do Twitter at this time or anything like that, but definitely Instagram, Facebook, and then my, my website, which is Steve Ramirez, author.com. Yeah. And uh, I have a really dear friend that constructed that website for me, so you should all take a look at it. It's beautiful. Well, that's great. And I will drop all that in the show notes. Thank you. It's, it's such a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Oh, it's been terrific. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care and be well. Take care. Bye for now. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. And don't forget to check out the show notes for the 7th Annual Clean the Dream on August 27th. Tight lines, everybody.